Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 22nd episode, the Yuki Sonoda episode, and I'm here after the Hungarian Grand Prix, the last race before the summer break. It's a sad time for F1 fans, uh, but that's what I'm here for. I still got F1 content for you guys coming each Monday of the break, so look out for that. Uh, the real reason I'm here, though, right now is to talk some Hungarian Grand Prix, so let's get into it. It's lights out, and away we go! So, unfortunately, the story going into the weekend um, was not so much about Ferrari or Red Bull or really anything to do with on-track stuff. It was, of course... The retirement announcement of Sebastian Vettel, um, very heartfelt message on Instagram. The man literally had no social media before, and he joins just to say goodbye, but, you know, it was in such a beautiful way. Um, I'm going to give Seb his proper congratulations in a minute. I just want to break down the Hungarian Grand Prix first, do things in order like I usually do. Uh, um, so... Going into the weekend, I think a lot of people expected this to be a very Ferrari-dominant track, myself included. Um, and we had quotes from Mattia Bonato, things like, uh, there's no reason why they can't win every race for the rest of the season. And um, that they definitely are looking to achieve a 1-2. I mean, you're looking to achieve a 1-2 at every race, but I think they know that this is a track that should suit their strengths and not so much the Red Bull strengths because straight line speed is not really that important around the Hungar ring. But anyway, I, I did expect Ferrari to have an impressive pace advantage over the field, even over the Red Bulls. Um, so I guess I'm not going to spoil anything, but they didn't achieve a 1-2. Um, Kevin Magnussen, though, speaking of Ferrari, <laughs> the Haas looking like a third Ferrari out there, but in white. Um, they finally bring their first upgrade of the season to so only one car. So Haas is lagging quite a bit behind in the development race, I guess. But at the same time, they've shown very strong pace as recent as Austria, and they have no upgrades. So, I mean, their original concept was clearly a pretty solid design. I mean, for a small team like Haas, I think you can't be upset with being in seventh right now. They might have wanted to aim a little higher, but it's going to be really tough to compete with the likes of McLaren and Alpine. Um, I think maybe they would want to be ahead of Alfa Romeo. But after that, what else could you really ask for, I think? Um, but anyway, I also want to quickly mention FP3 before we get into qualifying. Because FP3 in Hungary was probably the wildest practice session of the entire season so far. And um, typically, I think it was Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, it's probably been said by other drivers. But I think it was Ricciardo coming into this weekend saying thing he said something along the lines of like Hungary never has like a straightforward dry weekend there's always a bit of rain at some point and this was the only wet session of the entire weekend there's a bit of drizzle in the race but it, it really was like a non-factor but anyway they're on intermediates um, around the Hungar ring for FP3 and I think the most unlikely person imaginable led the entire session and not only did this unlikely fp3 hero lead the session he led it by over six tenths yes i'm talking about nicholas latifi's williams guys williams went one three in fp3 first and third and latifi was a second faster than albon six tenths faster than leclerc honestly when i woke up to that because me in canada FP3 is at like 7 in the morning or 6 in the morning. Um, I didn't wake up for it. I did obviously wake up for qualifying, woke up for the race, and I watched FP2 
on Friday. Um, but yeah, I did not wake up for FP3. I wake up to this notification that Latifi, like the, the, the headline, I immediately sent it to my friends because I was like, are we living in an alternate reality right now? Like that was insane. And honestly, like hats off to Nikki. Like that's no joke. It doesn't matter what the circumstances were. If you're leading a session in F1, like I, I can't stand when people attack Nikki like he's like an, uh, he doesn't know how to drive a car. Like this guy is an incredible Formula One driver. So let's let's pump the brakes a little bit on the hate for drivers, especially. I'm going to represent my Canadians. Lance Stroll and Nicholas Satifi are probably one of the most um, criticized drivers on the grid. And it's a bit unwarranted. Yes, they're not Lewis Hamilton. But does that mean if they're, if they're not as good as Lewis Hamilton, one of the best of all time, does that mean that they deserve to be trashed all the time just because they come from a family that has a little bit more money than the average person? <laughs> like, maybe that's a bit of a... I'm downplaying a little bit, but still, they they are very good racing drivers. They didn't, yeah, no, I, I guess I'm just gonna leave it at that. Um, I'm I'm talking a little bit too much about FP3, <laughs> um, but yeah, honestly, congratulations to Nicholas because I think that's gotta that's gotta boost your confidence a little bit. So, um, yeah, and also I guess in practice, just before right before I move into qualifying, McLaren looking really solid in practice in FP2. I think Lando was P2 and Ricardo was like P5. So it's looking like they had a pr uh, pretty strong weekend coming their way. But yeah, let's get into qualifying. Uh, Q1, um, of course, talking about Latifi. Um, my favorite moment probably of the session was seeing Latifi set a purple sector one on his final time. No idea where he would have ended up. And then all of a sudden he drops in down in P20. It's like, what? How do you set a purple sector first sector and then finish p20 i guess he blew it in the final corner um so that's that's a it's a major shame would have been nice to see latifi get up there again but he, he was very upset on the radio he they even he even said like there's no excuse for that or like i got to be better than that or something like he took accountability for it right away but again like to set a purple sector one even in qualifying he was he did one of the last laps i think so he was on the track at a great time it doesn't matter. And if you're in a Williams and you're setting a purple sector one, that is impressive. It doesn't matter how marginal it gets in sector one. That is impressive. So I think Latifi actually had a pretty solid Saturday, even though he started the race from the back. Honestly, hats off. Um, and speaking of the other Canadian, Stroll actually out-qualifies Vettel. He was on quite a, a poor streak in qualifying, finally breaks his Q1 elimination streak. Um, unfortunately for Vettel on the weekend that he announces his retirement is out in Q1 as Aston Martin has really struggled in qualifying and I feel like their race pace is actually not bad, but yeah, qualifying has been quite bad for them. And of course, after that one, three and FP3 Albon also out in Q1 and, uh, both Alpha Tires joined them. So there's your five out in Q1 and Q2, neither Haas could manage to escape and, I wouldn't really say that Magnussen did so much, like, a lot better than Mick Schumacher. So, well, the jury's still out on the Haas upgrade. Magnussen had nice things to say about it after the weekend. Um, but, yeah, no, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that Haas upgrade. 
But the story of Q2, obviously nothing to do with the Haas. It was easily Perez getting caught out. Very strange circumstance. His first time was deleted. And then while he was on his second lap, that for the record also got impeded by Magnussen. So, yeah, and then it's during that lap, his first one was reinstated. And on the Sky Sports feed, they watched Perez quote-unquote exceed track limits because he didn't and they said like that looks pretty on the line to me and then yeah they gave his lap back and then he got stuck in traffic um for his second lap so a very not clean session for Perez clearly and uh yeah I can't say I've ever seen a lap reinstated in qualifying before it may have happened and I just not not have noticed it but that was the first time that I was like oh, I didn't know that they could even do that but Either way, his best time was only good enough for P11. Another poor performance for Perez, who's on a bit of a slide right now. Um, but yeah, in, K- in Q3, chaos kind of ensued a little bit. As chaotic as it could get without people like crashing or spinning out. On Verstappen's first run, we see him cross the line thinking he's probably going to jump up to the top of the timesheets. No, he's in P7. Everyone, what What happened? turns out that he locked up into turn two goes very wide loses probably like a second of time in one corner and only manages to go seventh fastest so it's okay he's still got his final run but he's only gonna have one run to see how far up he could get and of course on his final run he has a power unit issue has no power well actually it was on his uh his outlap and could not set a representative time meaning he fell all the way down to p10 so he finishes last in Q3, has no representative time. That means both Red Bulls are 10th and 11th starting the Hungarian Grand Prix. That is a bad qualifying day for Red Bull. Um, and with Max and Sergio out of the picture, it seems like it's going to be an easy Ferrari front row lockout already at a track that they should be dominant at. But Leclerc wasn't really having his best qualifying. Uh, one of the best qualifiers on the grid, in my opinion. Probably having his worst session of the year, I would say. He's been good in qualifying all season long. This was a bit different. He didn't seem like he was completely like at one with the car. And Carlos actually seemed like he was getting on pretty well. Looked like he was going to take his second career pole. Um, but out of nowhere, with no purple sectors, George Russell just jumps to the top of the timesheets. And at this point, Lewis had been outperforming George in Q1 and in Q2. Lewis had a better time in Q1 and in Q2. That's that's fact. Whether you say the other one was outperforming the other, Lewis had the better times in both sessions. So at this point, I'm waiting for Lewis to cross the line because I'm like, oh God, like is he actually going to put it on pole for the Hungarian Grand Prix? That would be absolute scenes. I mean, it already is. Mercedes getting on provisional pole, George Russell getting his maiden pole, of course. But I, I really thought that Lewis was going to pull it off, and then all of a sudden I see him come into the pits, and I I thought that he blew it, like he made a mistake on his lap or something. Turns out he had a DRS issue. Very, very much of a shame. That put him seventh on the grid. I think Mercedes could have had a front row lockout, which is insane. He was interviewed about it after. He, did, he seemed very upset. Like He was happy for George, but I think internally he knew that it was a huge opportunity for him. And he put on a good face. He made like a nice little social post afterwards congratulating George. And I think he was genuinely happy that a guy on his like his car was able to um, achieve a pole position. But I think deep down he knew that like he just missed out on a huge opportunity again. And he's had quite a bit of bad luck this season. 
Um, but yeah, no, the reason that Carlos wasn't able to, uh, uh, he had, he made a mistake in sector two, apparently. So he allowed Leclerc back qualifying Carlos mistake allows George to jump up to the top of the times. So yes, he, he gets his first pull of his career. He was ecstatic on team radio. Um, it's Mercedes biggest achievement of the season. Let's be honest. I mean, they had a double podium last, last, um, race and I mean, I guess that probably is a bigger achievement because it's on a Sunday, but it, 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 a pull for Mercedes is is incredible, and it kind of was on merit. Yes, Max wasn't there, and but the Ferraris, they still had good times. They they were there, whether they make a mistake or not, that doesn't matter. Like it, that's pretty much on merit for George Russell, and he was yeah very happy with his lap. Um, described it as just corner by corner, hooking it up, and said that it might have been better than his spa lap, which I personally think is nuts because that spa lap was insane last year. But nevertheless, great job from George Russell. Um, Signs slotted in right behind with Leclerc P3 and Lando Norris P4. That McLaren practice pace came to fruition. Um, great result from him, and the Alpines locked out the third row, fifth and sixth. So that meant that Lewis Hamilton was starting directly behind Fernando Alonso. <laughs> um, if you remember Hungry 21, that uh, could have been seriously bad news for Hamilton. But, of course, it's a brand new year. Um, you can follow much closer. That was a bit of an issue last year with Hamilton complaining that he was stuck behind Antonio Giovinazzi. Yeah, um, <laughs> the regulations have done a good job, guys. Um, but, yeah, getting into the race with George on pole, both Ferraris behind uh, Mercedes opted to start um, George Russell on the softs. I, it was a colder day on Sunday. Mercedes typically struggles with tire warm-up. Um, the Ferraris, they strapped on the mediums. So did Lewis Hamilton. And the Red Bulls, they opted for the softs on uh, P10 and P11. Um, and before the race started, Christian Horner, I, well, I believe it was Christian... Yeah, it had to be Christian, let's be honest. Christian does all the talking for Red Bull. Um, he actually said that they planned on going on the hards, because usually when you're out of order and you have a lot of pace in your car, you go on the hards, you wait for everyone to pit in front of you so you can get that clean air, and then make up the time when like when you're still, like the hards are kind of coming alive at that point too, because they're the most durable tire. Um, but the hards were so hard to warm up that... They said, you know what, screw it. Let's go on the sauce. Hope to get a good start. Um, so just, I just want to, I just want you guys to keep that in mind because as the race goes on, you'll see why I'm bringing that up. Um, but yeah, let's get straight to the start. Uh, Russell looks right at home from pole. Gets a great getaway. Holds the lead in the turn one. And Lewis Hamilton as well also got a great start. Gets past both Alpines. Proved huge for his race. Of course, he doesn't have to worry about that Fernando Alonso headache that I was just mentioning. Um, and Perez actually got the better start from Max, but they both got pretty good starts. Um, shortly after that, Max, or sorry, Checo was actually told to let Max by right on lap one, like right away. I can't like, yes, Perez is out of it, but like 63 point lead, man, like just, geez, like it is, it is showing a polar opposite, um, like ideology between Red Bull and Friar right now. Like Red Bull has made their intentions clear like we are we're a max team essentially Checo is our second driver and even yes it's cutthroat yes it's tough for Perez but that is 
the better way to do things. And that's why Red Bull does it because let's be honest, Red Bull is a little bit more dialed in than Ferrari right now. Um, but yes, Max quickly dispatches the Alpines, found himself on the back of Lewis Hamilton and Lando Norris quite quickly. Um, and I think when Lewis sees Max in his uh, wing mirrors, he's like, oh shit, I better get I better get moving here. He gets past Lando, and in that same corner, Verstappen also passes Lando. Lando gets swallowed up by both of them. Um, and when this happened, I was thinking, oh, here we go. It's going to be another Max passing Lewis moment this season, just breezing past him. But no, Lewis actually started to pull away on his mediums from Verstappen's sauce. Um, to be fair, Max did report a clutch issue at this point, so that might have been hindering his performance. But also at this point, the soft runners were starting to struggle a little bit as well compared to the mediums that were probably doing quite nicely at this stage of the race. Um, all the while up front, both Ferraris slowly closing in on George Russell, because like I said, they're on the mediums, Russell's on the softs. Um, Leclerc's going faster than signs. A couple things we, uh, <laughs> something we've seen a couple times this year. Um, and Leclerc wants the team to do something. They call in signs, but Russell reacted to it and decided to pit. So Russell was actually the first of the top six to come in while signs stayed out. Um, it looked like it was actually a pretty solid dummy call from the Ferrari. And at this time, at this time, Verstappen actually pitted the exact same lap as Russell. Both of them put on new mediums and at this point I was like wow Ferrari like that's a pretty good call like it I don't know if that was intentional or if Russell just said oh hopefully like I can just stay in front by pitting on the same lap I don't know maybe it was already planned for Russell to pit I actually didn't see that but either way I was like hey you know this is fine Ferrari's doing fine um and even though Ferrari was on the mediums signs still pits the lap later and then that puzzled me a little bit because you started on the mediums and you only last one lap more than Russell. Like, I guess they wanted to see if they can overcut Russell, but the undercut is pretty powerful at Hungary. And yeah, they, the overcut fails. Russell was able to stay ahead. He passes Ocon just as Sainz comes out of the pits. So the Ferrari slotted in right behind Ocon exactly where Russell did the lap earlier. Um, and I mean... At the same point, they did bring in signs, so it did help Leclerc a lot that they both pitted, got out of his way, Leclerc got free air, and he used that free air pretty well. Um, it helps their main title challenger as well, right? So I, I couldn't, it was a little bit puzzling, but at the same time, I was like, you know what, maybe they're finally starting to prioritize Leclerc, giving Ferrari the benefit of the doubt, something maybe I shouldn't do. Um Anyway, around this time as well, just a few laps later, I think it was, um, the move of the day from Daniel Ricciardo, he's stuck behind Alonso. Ocon comes out of the pits, gets directly in front of both of them. He's on cold tires. He gets slightly in the way of Fernando, and Danny just pounces on the opportunity, slips down the inside of turn two, overtakes both of them. Brilliant move from Daniel. Shall I say, vintage honey badger. And he was pretty happy on team radio yells an expletive <laughs> um as i probably would too honestly if i made a nasty little double overtake like he did um and yeah leclerc was the last of the front runners to come into the pits going back up to the to the top he pits for mediums comes out behind russell but ahead of signs which i thought was great news for ferrari and leclerc's race and at this stage charles was the fastest guy on track this stint was pretty strong from him on lap 28, he's battling with Russell for the lead. Three laps later, 
George had put on a stout defense for these three laps, but Leclerc makes a fantastic move around the outside to take the lead and lead and then drove off into the distance. Like at, he had like a five second advantage at one point. Um, but yeah, taking a look at the midfield halfway point of the race, uh, both Norris and Ricardo running seven and eight Alpines tumble down the order as everyone who put the hard tire on did. Like I mentioned, Christian said the hard tire wasn't going to be viable here, but a lot of the midfield teams went for it anyway, and they basically all fell backwards. Um, and this allowed Aston Martins and Vettel and Stroll to find themselves both in the points because they opted for the soft medium or medium soft strategy, and the AlphaTauri's also employed that strategy. And I think they were making up ground because Gasly started from the pit lane. I failed to mention that. Um, but also at this point, Hamilton, Leclerc, signs have already committed to two-stop strategies those three started on mediums and then they went for mediums again so no matter what they're doing a two-step strategy unless they want to get disqualified um and that was not the case for max Checo, and russell they all started on the softs and went to mediums so everyone in the top six is understanding the hard tire is a big no-no especially considering we we know the alpine's pace is pretty solid and they have been slow like they threw away a better result by putting those hard tires on um, and on lap 39, Red Bull, they pull the trigger. They bring Verstappen in again, already his second stop. This is a 70-71 lap race, and they're bringing Verstappen in for his last stint on lap 39. So that means he has to go 30-ish, 30-odd laps on his set of mediums. They do that to try to undercut Sainz and Russell, who were pretty close ahead of him, also tightly fighting, not really full-on battling like Leclerc and Russell were, but yeah, so... I think a really smart call from Red Bull here to bring him in, try to undercut. Um, of course, this was not apparent to Ferrari that they were just trying to get past Sainz and Russell because they bring in Leclerc. Leclerc was not the guy who needed to cover for Verstappen. As I said earlier, Leclerc was the last one of the top six to come in, so he was on the freshest tires at this point of anyone, and they put Leclerc on the hard tire. So taking everything that I have just said about basically how this race is going and race strategy does that seem like a good idea to you no of course it's not it's not a good idea and this is where things start to unravel a little bit for ferrari as previously mentioned the hards have been brutal for everyone i don't know why ferrari thought all of a sudden that the hards were the play for them or whether they would be able to make the hards work but leclerc comes out and he's immediately off the pace he got swallowed up by Verstappen shortly after, which was the whole point of pinning him in the first place to make sure he wasn't vulnerable to Verstappen's undercut. And it really made no sense to me. It made no sense to everyone. The commentators themselves were very confused why they were putting the hard tire on. And yeah, once again, Leclerc seems to be in the best position to win. And then Ferrari takes him from that position and sticks the worst race tire on him. I don't know what Ferrari's thinking half the time. So strange. But right after Max clears Leclerc, he actually drops it before the final corner, loses the position back to Leclerc, but then regains it a couple laps later, just proving how bad Leclerc's pace was in the hards. He got passed by Max twice. And at this moment, Sainz and Hamilton, they're one and two. Um, they obviously haven't stopped for their second stint. Of the people who had already stopped twice, Verstappen was leading. Um, I believe Verstappen was ahead of Leclerc who was ahead of Russell, who was ahead of Perez. Um, and 
Russell was starting to get to the back of Leclerc because Leclerc's pace again was pretty awful. Um, they both eventually pit for those softs though on lap 50 and 52 respectively. So they have to make it around 20 laps. Um, they both come out in P4 and P5 and it looks like they were probably on the best strategy out of anyone besides maybe Verstappen who started on the softs and then went to mediums. These guys started on the mediums, so it's kind of like the opposite strategy, right? Um, all the while, George Russell, like I said, really closing in on Leclerc's Ferrari, overtakes him for P2 in the race, and when this happened, the pair of them were about eight seconds back over Verstappen. So Max has just cruised, started from P10, and he is cruising to a victory with still over 10 or, so, 10 or more laps to go. It became a full-blown disaster for Ferrari after, of course, he's been passed by Russell, he's been passed by Verstappen, and then they're like, you know what, we're about to get passed by Sainz and Hamilton as well. Then they bring him in to put on the sauce. So they don't even go to the end on the hards, which just compounds the issue. Comes out on the softs in P6, Pine Perez, and there's just not enough time to close the gap either. So great strategy, Ferrari. Um, Mercedes team principal actually gave um, some interesting insight into that. Before the race, he said they actually made their mistake before the race even started because they didn't bring a set of new medium tires for their drivers. And that is potentially why they brought in Leclerc um, early on his second stint because the mediums had already been worn. But I'm not sure. Anyway, the race is still very much on. Leclerc is completely out of it at this point. And weirdly enough, Hamilton looks way quicker than Sainz at this stage on the softs. And that's interesting because when that happened in Silverstone, when there was a late safety car and they all put on the softs, it seemed like that's where Mercedes struggled. Just the pure pace when everyone's just fully sending it. The tire management is where Mercedes has actually looked good. And I guess it is a different, it definitely is a different circumstance because they're they had to manage their tires. 20 laps on the softs is quite a while. But still, I wasn't expecting Hamilton to be better on the softs than Sainz. Not at all. And they actually were both closing up to Russell, who was struggling a bit on his last stint on the mediums. Hamilton breathing down Sainz's neck on lap 63. Hamilton's pace advantage was crazy. He was almost pulling off moves in places that you, like, never pass in Hungary. Takes the podium position from Sainz and on lap 65. Puts a great switch back on George Russell and grabs P2. Unfortunately for Lewis, there wasn't enough time for him to catch Verstappen, so he settled for P2 with the fastest lap, which I also thought was surprising since Leclerc had fresher softs than Hamilton. I thought Leclerc, with free air on fresher softs, had the fastest lap guaranteed, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he had zero motivation to race at this point. So yeah, the final results. Max, again, in P1, his eighth win of the season, and his first win from outside the top four on the grid in his career. Congratulations to Max, Lewis P2, George P3, making it the exact same podium for the second week running. Uh, Sainz P4, Perez P5, Leclerc P6, meaning after starting second and third on the grid behind a Mercedes, at a track they were expected to be dominant at, Ferrari finished with both cars off the podium. That's the first time that's happened all season. If they finish the race, if both of them finish the race, one of them is on the podium. Always, except for Hungary. And this time it was all strategy. And a bit of Sainz's pace. I think Sainz had a bad second half of the race. Um, but either way, it's also the first time since round five in Miami that 
the top six all finished a race, so no wonder we had such a great Hungarian Grand Prix, right? I've been calling for that for quite a while now. Anyways, Norris was P7 for the third week in a row. Great consistency from him at the moment. Alonso led Ocon for another Alpine double points finish in P8 and P9. And P10 was Sebastian Vettel after he announced his retirement. Uh, Lance Stroll actually probably should have been in P10. He drove a great race, but uh, was hit by Ricardo when he locked up. Costed them both and kind of gifted Vettel P10. Aston Martin with a great strategy. Pretty solid race pace. Um, they deserve to be there. I think Ricardo probably should have realistically been the guy who was in P10. Um, but yeah, his mistake cost him. Five-second penalty as well. And his pace on the hards was pretty bad. Um, I think McLaren's tried to end the race on the hards on their last stint. And Lando was f- far enough ahead from the Alpines who were on the hards earlier that it didn't matter. Ricardo was not. I think he got swallowed up a little bit. He was getting passed by Aston Martins as well. So... A bad second half of the race after a pretty strong first part of the race for Ricardo. It's a shame, but it is what it is. I think Ricardo finished P15. Um, Max Verstappen has an 80-point lead on Charles Leclerc in the championship now, which means Max could DNF the next three races and still lead the championship. Checo uh, is only five points behind Leclerc, um, while Perez, um, well, George Russell, sorry, who passed signs by two points, is um, now P4 in the championship. Uh, Lewis Hamilton has also made up significant ground with his fifth consecutive podium, only 12 points back from George. At one point, he was in the 30-ish points back from George. So Hamilton has been on quite a uh, run here, but he's still in P6. Norris is P7 with an 18-point lead to Ocon in P8. Valtteri Bottas, who's failed to score in the last four Grand Prix now, Still in P9, but only five points up on Fernando Alonso. In the constructors, Ferrari um, is almost down by a century to Red Bull now. They're 97 points behind, and Ferrari only holds a 30-point advantage over Mercedes, which is it's getting way too close for comfort, and a lot of people are starting to talk whether Mercedes is actually going to be able to pull off P2 in this championship. Um But yeah, the battle behind for P4 is going to be interesting right to the end, I think. Four-point lead for Alpine still. Both teams tied in Hungary. Uh, Six points for Lando. Six points combined for the two Alpines. Um, And Alfa Romeo, again, scoreless. They're now 44 points behind the McLaren. Um, However, Haas nor AlphaTauri were able to make up ground on the Swiss-based unit. Aston Martin is now within seven points of P8 after Vettel's one point, while Williams is still looking for their first points since Miami in P10. Now it's time for my prize, demise, and surprise. All right, the prize. I'm going going against my own rules here. I'm giving the prize to the protagonists of the 2021 season. Yes, both Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen are getting the prize this week. Really showed that they're the class of the field on Sunday. Max honestly has this championship all but locked up. It's going to be his second in a row. While Lewis continues to improve in his decent at best W13, um, that he is just on another level right now and is now outclassing drivers in faster cars. Um, He's really starting to um, find a rhythm, I think, with his car and with these new regulations. He was actually my driver of the day vote in Hungary. I understand, yes, Max won from P10. Lewis only went P2 to P7, but Lewis is in the third fastest car. So, yeah, 
think about Max winning from P10, Lewis in a third fastest car going second. So basically, the only other way to explain this is with one word, Ferrari. So Demise, uh, I'm actually not going to give it to Ferrari. I'm going to give them a bit of a break, um, and I'm going to give my Demise to Daniel. Uh, yeah, he made that amazing move, and it was awesome to see, but his pace was just not good enough afterwards. And he ruined that with the lockup that took out Stroll. He apologized to Lance right after, and that's very Daniel-esque. You know, he's a very nice guy, but it was an opportunity to pick up good points for the team, make himself look good, because let's be honest, he kind of needs that right now, and he's failed to do it again. Ricardo is only 19 points in the fifth fastest car. I think he's, what is it now, almost 60 points down on Lando. And he's behind Kevin Magnuson in the championship. He's behind Haas. Yeah, not good. So the surprise of the race was definitely the hard tire. I, I really tried to think of something else because I knew I was going to talk quite a bit about the hard tire in the recap. And I just can't think of anything else that was more surprising to me. So many people tried it too. Like that was the surprising part about it too. I think Haas went for it first because Magnuson was showing a black and orange flag. He puts on the hard, was nowhere. But sure, that's the Haas. Then the Alpines do it. Nowhere. Then the Alfa Romeos do it. Nowhere. And it, it, it showed because Vettel, Stroll, and Gasly, Gasly started from the pit lane, were 10, 11, 12 in the race, all because after McLaren and Alpine, who, let's be honest, have better pace than these than Aston and Alfa Tauri, the rest of the people underneath of them all put the hard tire on. So that is essentially why Vettel, Stroll, and Gasly were 10, 11, and 12, because they were on a much better strategy. And yes, technically Albon, Latifi, and Sonoda didn't either, to be fair. They didn't put on the hard tire, but they also stopped three times, and that's not exactly ideal. Um, so yeah, just the hard tire is shocking, because it's actually been a really good race tire at a lot of circuits this year, but not in Hungary on a cold day, apparently. So uh, I want to quickly talk about the championship. I'm not going to sp spend too much time on it because, let's be honest, the championship, well, the top of it anyway, is kind of decided already. So I think the championship segment is going to be focused a lot more on probably the McLaren-Alpine fight or even Mercedes and Ferrari. But anyway, I want to quickly get over that because, let's be honest, we got to talk about Seb. So the championship segment, really quick, I'm calling it, what can Mercedes do? And it's not just the team I'm talking about, because it's the second double podium in a row for George and Lewis, and they trail Leclerc by 20 and 32 points, respectively, in the, in the driver's championship. Leclerc has only one podium in the last eight races. So the question is, can Mercedes get P2 in the constructors? Because a lot of people are talking about that right now. And also, could Lewis Hamilton finish ahead of Leclerc in the championship? Of course, this that includes George Russell as well, but because Lewis is further back, I'm just kind of illustrating that even from P6, could Lewis get ahead? Could George get ahead too? Very possibly, but Lewis is also the hotter driver right now. Five podiums in a row, three P3s, two P2s. Uh, since Australia, literally round three of the 2022 championship, where Leclerc achieved a grand slam. So from round 4 to round 13, Lewis has outscored Leclerc 117 to 107. Yeah, crazy, right? 
Just just take that in. That is ridiculous. And that includes the race that was in Imola, where Mercedes was terrible, especially Lewis. Lewis was very bad that weekend. Monaco, not a great weekend for Lewis. Pretty solid race for George Russell. Um, and there's another one in there that I'm forgetting that Mercedes wasn't very good, but I apologize for that. I can't quite remember. But, yeah, Mercedes just seems to be optimizing their package more and more. Uh, they look on track to avoid engine penalties. They haven't faced any reliability issues besides a little bit of overheating in Spain. Uh, they don't throw away points like Ferrari does. Um, so, yeah, all those things Ferrari does. And essentially, what do I think? I, I think Mercedes can do it or else I wouldn't be talking about it. I really think Mercedes can claw back 30 points from Ferrari. And I've been adamant that I really think Ferrari probably has the best car, even better than Red Bulls. I think realistically, Red uh, Ferrari should be leading both championships. Not in the fight. They should be leading both championships, and they're not. And there's a reason for that. So that's why I think Mercedes can take P2, and I think that would be an absolute disaster of a year for Ferrari. And honestly, if things keep going this way, they deserve it. So that's all I'll say. So yeah, we had we had two bombshell announcements since the last episode, and I really need to spend more time on this than I do the championship right now because the championship is dead, like I said last episode. Um so first of all, Seb Vettel announces his retirement. I know I touched on it at the beginning of the episode. But yeah, um, a corresponding move in the driver market followed that. Um, a move that I certainly didn't see coming. Fernando Alonso replaces Seb Vettel at Aston Martin. Um, and before I, I discuss that, and I will in, in detail, I just want to talk about Seb for a moment because I got I to gotta properly talk about Seb announcing his retirement. I'm going to do it again at the end of the year, let's be honest, after his last race. But um, I just talked about Seb on my last silly season, and I, I predicted that he wasn't going to retire. And I, I really didn't think he would. It wasn't just like a random prediction. Like, I really didn't think he was going to call it quits. But I did say what the reason would likely be if he did. And uh, yeah, Seb is a great man. He he has a great head on his shoulders and a, and a big heart. You can't blame a man for wanting to be with his family. I mean, many of the messages that the drivers had set, had, had for Seb were great. Um, I thought Hamilton actually put it really well when asked about Seb in an interview. Um, just talk about the bravery of Seb and how he's going to be a friend. He's going to be great at whatever he does. Lando posts his little child picture with Seb, which was which is awesome. And, and yeah, there were many more. I, almost everyone had reached out to Seb, had something to say. Um and in his retirement message, um, he said that there's still a race to win. And, you know, just whatever challenge is next for Seb, he's going to flourish. He He's clearly passionate about, you know, the environment. And he, he he's going to be a great dad. So he, he, uh, he's going to be missed in the paddock. Um, the best prime of a career of all time. So many things to say about this guy. He's so likable now. And at one point, he was a villain in F1. And he's completely flipped that script for himself. Of course, you're going to be villainized more when you're winning races. And now he's kind of on the back end of his career, clearly, because he's retiring. Um, but yeah, no, his career would have had the, the perfect cherry on top if he had able uh, been able to win with Ferrari. 
Um, and unfortunately, that did not come to fruition. But either way, what a career. What a legend. Uh, we love you, Seb. Just wanted to say that. Um, and that came straight from the heart. I, I didn't didn't script any of that. This this is just things that come to my mind when uh, I talk about I talk about Seb. Um, what what a great guy. And I will be definitely voting Seb Driver of the Day in Abu Dhabi. Remember that, anyone listening, we're voting Seb Driver of the Day in Abu Dhabi. No question about it. So yeah, now let's talk about the corresponding driver market move, the Alonso move. Um, and I have to give credit where it's due. And I'm not just saying this because he's a friend of the podcast, but the only person I saw connecting Alonso to Aston Martin was Tim Haraney, ironically enough, because he's probably going to come on the podcast again soon. He's already been on there. Um, all the rumors were about, you know, Mick Schumacher, Vettel had endorsed him. I, I personally didn't think it was going to happen, but people were talking about it. You know, Ricardo's name was thrown out there. Nico Hulkenberg's already reserved there. People talked about that uh, possibility. Uh, Nick DeVries and Felipe Drogovic were available. Um, and I didn't even think the most likely option from Alpine was Alonso. I, I really thought, if anything, they would try to loan Piastri to Aston. And from what I've heard, actually, since that, most people expected that. They didn't They didn't think Alpine wanted to do um, Alpine, or sorry, I don't think Alpine wanted Piastri in their car for his rookie season. I think they actually wanted him to drive in like a Williams or an Aston Martin for one season and retain um, Alonso services for one more year. But I think Alonso wanted a multi-year deal, and that's exactly what he got um, from Lawrence Stroll. And I was also impressed by Stroll because he got Fernando to commit within like five days of Vettel's retirement announcement, which, or it might have been, well, I guess I did say within, but it might have been quicker than that. I don't even know. But something that I was actually not aware of, and maybe some of you are, but I didn't know that like Stroll and Alonso actually had a relationship, like they've known each other for a long time. So that obviously um, plays a role in there. But yeah. No, Aston Martin replaces a legend with another uh, legend. It seems like a backwards move for the 41-year-old Alonso. Don't have really much time to be waiting for a team to develop. But who knows, maybe Alpine was leaning toward bringing Piastri back into the fold. Um, and I guess people hadn't heard of that. I really don't know. I don't know why. Like, this move is just odd to me. It seems like maybe Fernando just wants to stay in Formula 1, and this is the best opportunity he has. And when I saw Tim talk about Alonso going to Aston Martin, I was like, I honestly thought, I was like, why? Like, why are, why are you even suggesting that? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I replied on his tweet that had him linking Alonso to Aston Martin. And I replied, I was like, I don't think that Alpine would do that. If anything, they would loan Piastri there. And possibly, if they can't get him, target a rookie like DeVries or Djokovic. And I stand corrected. So <laughs> hats off to you, Tim. I I honestly swear you were the only person that knew that because, like, I, I following like British media as well, nobody saw that coming. Only only Tim did, which is very I guess amazing for him. So shout out Tim. Um, yeah, I really hope Aston can take a step next year though because I'd I'd love to see Fernando stay in a competitive car. Because right now, I don't think he'd be able to manage much better than what Vettel has been managing. 
So, yeah, it's officially the summer break, guys. Uh, I got an episode coming next week where I'll be doing some fun stuff, talking about driver and team performances so far this season, you know, maybe doing some rankings, um, talks, talking about what the best races are of the season, a whole bunch of stuff like that. Uh, and then I have a bonus interview that I'm planning for, kind of replacing the following Monday's episode. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned for that. Uh, that's going to do it for the Yuki Sonoda episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. And I'll be back with episode 23 next week to review the first leg of the season. Trust me, it's going to be a fun one. Goodbye.